0: welcome everybody to our Experience CGI podcast. In this episode, we take a look at the effects of quantum computing on our financial markets clients and more specifically, as per the title of the podcast, delve a little deeper into the world of post-quantum cryptography. My name is Sean Devaney and I'm responsible for CGI's Banking and Financial Market Strategy in the UK. I'm joined today by Dr. Alex Baxendale. Who is a vice president in our cybersecurity team? I should start off with the with the proviso that I'm a banking IT person, and I'm not a security specialist. So the purpose of today's podcast is for us non-security people to examine whether post-quantum cryptography is something that we in the wider banking community need to be looking at. So Alex, we hear a lot in the press about quantum computing and quantum cryptography. But the title of this podcast is should banks be looking at post-quantum cryptography so what's the difference what's the difference between post-quantum cryptography quantum cryptography and quantum computing
1: morning sean um well so so where to start on that really i mean obviously they have quantum in their in their title but they're actually quite different um concepts so i'll try and have a, a stab at them um in reverse order i guess so quantum computing itself it's all about leveraging quantum computers to deliver business benefits and quantum cryptography itself is all about using the naturally occurring properties of quantum mechanics to conduct cryptographic operations that are secure so that could include for example the use of techniques such as quantum key distribution um, but that's really a whole field in its own right and i think probably a, suitable for a, a podcast a separate podcast <laughs> exactly um <laughs> so um Quantum. So when we talk about post-quantum cryptography, it's not really actually a branch of of quantum computing at all, rather it's a development of of classical computing um, based cryptographic systems that are resistant to quantum computing techniques, as well as being secure against more traditional classical computing. So um, classical encryption techniques generally rely on um, the relative difficulty of solving certain mathematical problems, such as the factoring of large numbers. And That makes it very hard, or very almost impossible, to decrypt data that has been encrypted using a sufficiently large key. And if you if you look at the the introduction of quantum computers, um, those that are available do not have the capacity um, to pose a threat to um, most of the mainstream uh, cryptographic algorithms that are in operation and in use today. They're just um, not big enough, right? That, that's the problem right now. Yeah, so they, you know, we, they talk about the number of qubits, etc. Yeah. Um, the, the actual development of those of, of, of that capability is, is uh, you know, increasing um, and more than linearly. So, it, it's, it, you know, the capability of these quantum which is 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 um, expanding over time. But at the moment, we're nowhere near uh, being able to crack uh, most of the, st- the standard commercial uh, cryptographic algorithms that are in use. Um, given the current key lengths are in use. And obviously you can try and increase the key lengths associated with those devices as a first layer of resistance. Um, yeah. But,
0: so I was going to say, I mean, that, that's so it sounds like, you know, all sort of classical encryption techniques are vulnerable, but some are more vulnerable than others, you know, symmetric. I hear about symmetric encryption versus asymmetric encryption. Can you just talk a little bit about the difference in vulnerability uh, for those types of techniques?
1: In theory, I think, as you say, in theory, all classical encryption techniques are vulnerable to quantum computing. Um, However, some are more vulnerable than others. So symmetric algorithms tend to scale well in that they are highly performant. And as computing power increases, one can simply increase the size of the key material um, to make the key derivation problem that much harder to solve. Mm. And given the current state of quantum computing, symmetric encryption is, is, is pretty resistant to quantum computing attack. It's that very those very characteristics that make them suitable for um, bulk encryption, that scalability, capacity, um, that also makes them resistant to quantum threats. So the real area of concern, or primary area of concern at the moment, is really around asymmetric encryption or public key encryption, where the public key is shared, but the private key used to secure that data is is kept secret. This is a uh, a lot more vulnerable to quantum computing attacks because these algorithms by their very nature are far less efficient and therefore less suitable for scaling.
0: Uh, okay. So if I'm using a symmetric encryption algorithm uh, algorithm like AES or something like that, for instance, and I've got a sufficiently large key, then I'm okay.
1: Hmm. Well, you, you may be if, if all you're really doing is, is encrypting and decrypting um, your own data for, you know, for example, using data at rest security, right. um, albeit, I think, organisations who are even using um, AES in, in, you know, for encrypting their own data should be looking at increasing uh, the key lengths associated with, with that. So right. if you're using 128-bit, for instance, um, then you, you should be looking at 256, um, and that will increase over time, and inevitably, as a consequence, there, there will be a race over time to stay ahead of the current quantum computing infrastructure. Um, um, associated with that Um, but um, asymmetric cryptography you know the the area that's more at risk allows us to perform cryptographic functions between parties without sharing a secret that's that's why it's been so popular Mm. and it's this very characteristic that underpins modern pki services like um and blockchains and key exchange mechanisms for example So what that means is that there are lots of cryptographic use cases out there which combine asymmetric and symmetric encryption to achieve the desired effect. So if we take a a really common example, TLS. So a lot of people say, well, TLS is is secured using a symmetric AES-256 typically um, encryption cipher. So surely that will be highly um, resilient to quantum threats. But TLS also uses an asymmetric cipher typically RSA or elliptic curve, to authenticate the parties as part of the initiation of the TLS um, session and to secure the, the key exchange of that secret um, symmetric key. So effectively it blends the performance of the symmetric cipher, AES256, and the convenience of an asymmetric of asymmetric crypto, RSA or elliptic curve, to overall secure the connection. So logically, you know, if you're using a a quantum susceptible asymmetric algorithm for key exchange, or rely on a PKI certificate that's used, uh, which also um, relies on asymmetric crypto, to secure and initiate that connection, then a TLS connection itself is at risk.
0: Right. Okay. So. so I mean, that's, that's quite a wide reaching uh, challenge, right, because, you know, we're using that kind of public key uh, infrastructure for all sorts of things now with the rise of Internet of Things. And, uh, and as you mentioned, blockchain, various cryptocurrencies and things like that are also impacted. I mean, you, you mentioned um, elliptic curve there. And, and one of the things that I've, I've been doing a little bit of my own research on is, is the work that organizations like uh, NIST um, are doing, the National Institute for Science and Technology in the U.S., and, and, and they originally talked about things like um, elliptic curve and, and things like that. But 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 then there were some challenges with that. Can you give us a bit of an update on where the progress is on those sort of qua- post quantum computing algorithms? Uh, what 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 organisations are doing to to
1: set those standards up? Sure. So um, there are so there are activities across the globe um, looking at the. Uh, the risks associated with uh, quantum computing um, to our cryptographic um, environments. Um, we, we are often in the West, um, America often takes the lead. Um, mm. There is the NIST, which is the US Department of Commercial, Um of Commerces National Institute of uh, Standards and Technology. Um, they are wide, you know, widely seen as, 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 as being the, the benchmark provider um, within the West. Um, Many organisations rely on the NIST and the NIST recommendations and standards to ensure that they're complying with uh, good cryptographic practice. Um, They're obviously primarily there to support um, US federal government, but they are widely relied upon in the commercial space. And they have, well, since 2016, they've been running a programme to, and it's actually a a competition to develop uh, quantum resistant algorithms associated with different cryptographic use cases um, and they've tasked the the crypto community to develop and validate those quantum resistant algorithms. Um, And they've got to the point now that last year they published um, four, so they've been sort of going through a process of of looking at the different algorithms and and dropping some out and and focusing on the ones that look most promising. They published uh, four uh, last year, which they they feel may be suitable for inclusion in post-quantum cryptographic standards. And they're effectively making it available to the marketplace for, for them to do additional testing, et cetera. And these covered both general encryption and digital signing, for example. Um, but you know the nature of these things is that so, so there is you know serious progress being made, and the European Union um, you know also has its own programs to to, to look at some of this, and they, they um, rely to a large extent on on some of the things NIST is doing. But um, the very nature of these things is that this is a new field, and these are new algorithms. And people are coming up with 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 um, hypotheses, theories, then implementations mm. um, to validate these. And the very you know the whole point of what NIST is doing is is making it available for public inspection. And indeed, pretty soon after these were published, um, one of them already was already broken um, by a Swedish research team, um, which has sort of caught, meant that they're having to revisit that particular algorithm and how it how it works. But, you know, that's a setback, but it is the whole purpose of academic challenge. So I think that was, um, yeah,
0: sorry, that was a, that was the Crystals-Kyber algorithm. And and that was a, that was a a side channel attack, uh, right? So rather than breaking the actual algorithm itself. So, you know, that, that's kind of a slightly odd vulnerability, isn't it? As opposed to a break of the actual standard.
1: So, you've got to think about the. So, it's all very well having an algorithm that may, may or may not logically meet the um, threat associated with quantum computing, but they also have to be resistant to traditional threats and mm. traditional computing techniques. So, you've, you know, you've, you've got to come up with something that, that meets the need and is resistant to quantum based attacks, but it also needs to have that appropriate resistance to, to more traditional attacks. And uh, you know, so, I think that's the benefit of having that made public. Is that people will try and break it in any which way they can, um, right. and then that will identify issues associated with some of these, and that will enable the you know NIST and the authorities and the people who are working on developing these algorithms to to change and adapt. So I'm I'm pretty confident you know we'll end up with with, with algorithms that are deemed to be appropriately resistant, um, but it may be a few more years before those those standards um, will be finalised. Okay. Um, so
0: so if if I. If we're a couple of years away from those standards being finalised, mm-hmm. um, and you know, we're a few years away from uh, a quantum computer that uh, that allows me to decrypt existing um, encryption standards, what, why should I care about this now? If I'm a, if I'm a bank, why do I care about this right now? I mean, surely I can just do an audit of my current estate, uh, implement uh, a sufficiently robust symmetric keys with long symmetric encryption with a long enough key. And so I don't have to worry. Why should I worry about it right now?
1: I think, as a security, as a security bod specialist, I would start off by saying, well, you should always be reviewing your estate and its security needs. Well, you would, and you should, you're a security yeah, bod, indeed, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, And you need to, as part and parcel of that, you need to continuously look at the algorithms that you're using um, as part of your your BAU operations. But it sort of in answer to your actual question, Sean. Um, it really depends on the sensitivity and longe- longevity of, the, of your data and the nature of the cryptographic functions that are that are processed, so I think everyone would agree that clearly the more sensitive um, the data, um, the more the robust the protection mechanisms you, you require that 's you know standard good practice risk management, mm. um, and therefore the more likely you are to be concerned about quantum threats. I think it 's also worth noting that time. Um, sense, you know, there's a, a time sensitivity element to, to, to data and information that you're protecting. So, for example, company results, they, they can be extremely sensitive before publication, um, but they, they're a matter of the public record after that. So some information can be really sensitive short term, but not sensitive long term. You may not be worrying about that from a quantum threats perspective. But other data is, is actually persistent and sensitive over a prolonged period. So medical records, for example, uh, example. So, you know, so I think organizations need to sort of ask themselves some fundamental questions like, is the data I have today still going to be relevant in a few more years? Um, so would that information, for example, be of use to a bad actor, someone who wants to cause harm to your organization or your or your customers or your supply chain? Um, and things like biometrics, for example, they, they won't have changed very much in the nature of the data. So it's already becoming apparent that some malicious organizations out there and that may include um, organized crime and, and you know foreign um, uh, state threat, threat actors mm. they will um, they are already there is increasing evidence that they're actually already capturing or or, or taking possession or getting access to encrypted sensitive information where people are thinking well it's encrypted so it's okay they're getting access to that encrypted information and they're storing it, not because they can break it now, but because they, they may be able to break it some way downstream and it may derive them some value at that point in time.
0: Mm. So
1: um, so if, you know, if you're thinking of the future of, of application of quantum computing is that in the next five to 10 years, they may have that, some cap- that, that sort of capability and they may be already trying to steal your information on that basis. Then you need to be thinking as an organisation about how you're going to, to provide appropriate protection to that information to make sure they can't reap that information and can't sow the harm later down, downstream.
0: Right. And that's interesting. I mean, we, we've started talking to a number of our banking clients already um, yeah. that, are, that are a little bit ahead of this and have started looking at the problem already. And and, and the process they're going through uh, that we're helping them with is you know auditing that current encryption in the state, right? To determine what tools and techniques they're using for encryption today, as well as looking at the sensitivity and longevity of that data across the estate. So, yeah. you know, not only looking at the tools, but looking at the data that those tools protect. Is there anything else that they should be doing um, apart from just looking
1: at the tool set and the, and the data? Well, I'll start off by saying, that you know that is what they should be doing. They should, so, they, mm. so before you can protect your data, you need to have a, an understanding of what the sensitivity of that data, what data you actually have, what its sensitivity is, where it's stored, how do you use crypto to protect that data today. And is that something that's likely to be at risk from, from future attacks? So, yes, that's what organisations should be doing. They should be you know, preparing and, and coming up with appropriate strategy and approaches and timeline plans, etc. cetera, to, to, to ensure that their, their security posture is maintained in, as, as, in, in the face of this threat. But in terms of what else could they do? Well, as well as looking at their data and their current encryption attacks, they should really be working closely with their uh, security suppliers. Um, particularly those people who provide the hardware and software which they actually rely on to secure their data and to look to see what they can do with them to combat the challenges presented by quantum computing. You know, As an organisation, CGI works closely with a whole array of, of suppliers um, in support of our clients um, and that includes, you know, a number of vendors who are very much focused on, on cryptographic controls and, and, and associated capabilities, PKI services, HSMs, that type of thing. So those system suppliers, they should by now, in fact, most of the ones we do, do, have plans in place for how they're going to tackle this post-quantum encryption. And, you know, it would be concerning if they didn't really, to be honest. So it's, they should have a position, they should have a roadmap on how they want to plan and to deal with this um and organizations need to to engage with those those suppliers to understand that and to see how that is relevant to to to, to their data and to their systems Um, they may for example even have tools to help you conduct your analysis so things like discovery to actually it's one of those odd things we like to think we we know where we use crypto and where the keys are etc but in large complex organizations actually having a, a, a you know to having a central view of that um, is often a challenge for organizations and these 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 organizations will come with tools that will help you identify your cryptographic key usage and identify you know where that is um so you know and as i say that's despite the criticality of good key management um our experiences at part, parties often fail to have that true picture so i think that's an, another interesting area that they that they can they can sort out and-
0: that's really interesting I, I i think you know just to sort of close out and to sum up a little bit i mean i think At the end of the day, like all of this, um, you know, when it comes down to looking at uh, encryption, security and so on, at the end of the day, it all comes down to your risk appetite. Uh, You know, quantum computing poses a threat to some cryptographic algorithms, some more than others currently. um, uh, And and we are increasingly dependent on those algorithms to secure our, our, our data. There's there's a lot of work being done in uh, by the regulators, by some government organisations, and and by the industry as a whole to catch up and create conditions for future quantum resistance and post quantum computing algorithms. But it's a little bit away yet before we've got those algorithms, you know, uh, in a position where they can be fully leveraged. But but organisations, because of the timeline it takes to implement these kind of things, I mean, I think you know a, a sort of fairly ubiquitous. PKI infrastructure took 10, 15 years to implement. Um, so there's a long lead time in implementing things, these things, and they're quite complicated. So organizations, not just financial services organizations, but other organizations need to that have customer data and sensitive data, need to start planning and preparing for that right now. And that preparation should include reviewing your susceptibility. So what 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 problems or, or vulnerabilities might you have but also identifying the priorities for what data you need to really worry about, what's gonna have a long-term value and so on, and then building relationships with those key suppliers so that you can develop a strategy and approach uh, and a plan for, for, for ensuring that risk remains appropriately managed. And I think the key thing for me, the key takeaway is that organizations need to ask themselves, what are the assets or services that retain data sensitivity over time? Uh, And then in turn, which of those um, sets of data rely on vulnerable cryptographic cryptographic functions for which reasonable mitigation steps exist? So increasing the size of the key, et cetera. And then a risk analysis should drive that quantum resistance strategy and plan. And then that should leverage quantum ready resources and deploy a, a hybrid option where where suitable. So in some cases, you might need post-quantum cryptography. In other cases, you might need um, a, a more robust classical uh, computing uh, approach, certainly in the in the short to medium term. Well, that's been fascinating, Alex, and thanks a lot for sharing your insight in this area. I certainly know a lot more about the subject than I did when we started. If anybody wants to get more information on this topic, then contact details for both Alex and myself are in the podcast description. And as usual, you can subscribe and listen to previous and future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. That's all from us today. Uh, We look forward to connecting with you all again on the next Experience CGI podcast.